Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Speed Technologies, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAA. That's 1-855-450-6624. Hey, give me a call. We'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, and now host of the only show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Shalaya. So good evening to you all. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Happy to be here on the air with you tonight. Most of you know that I am pretty biased when it comes to operating systems. I'll be the first to admit that I don't think that Linux is just a tool. I don't think it's just a tool for a job. I don't think that Windows is just a tool for a job. And I don't think Mac OS is just a tool for a job, because unlike Microsoft and Apple, Linux is not some faceless corporation. They're not some faceless corporation that is motivated by a bigger bank account. And, and by the way, I am not saying that there is anything wrong with wanting a bigger bank account. Believe you me, Speed Technologies is very much driven by a big bank account. That's how we function. But Linux is about more than that. Linux is about the community. It's about interpersonal relationships. It's the elementary OS guys helping out the Solus guys design a better desktop. The rounded corners. It's the Visuex guys working with the Ubuntu Mate guys to design the perfect graphic set. It's the Martin Wimpresses of the world designing a Linux distribution for your average user and then getting picked up by companies like Canonical because they want to take his good ideas, they want to take his passion and they want to incorporate it into Linux for everyone. They want to thank him for his hard work. And yes, I am biased. For the record, I am not talking about a religion here. I am talking about a healthy due respect that is owed for the people that have put their blood, sweat, tears, and sacrifice into a software stack to give it to you, the user, for a better experience. And I was, I was listening to, I think it was... Today or yesterday, I was listening to a radio show on my way into work, and the host was talking about his uncle, who worked for a company called Alcoa Aluminum for like 50 years. And uh, when his uncle retired, they were all sitting around for a gathering, family gathering, and one of the relatives brought a dish, and uh, after the meal had wrapped up, this uh, relative went over to the dish that he or she had brought and uh, pulled out a box of uh, Reynolds wrap. And um, the uncle immediately got... You know, very upset, got out of his chair, walked over, grabbed that thing of box of rental wrap, threw it in the garbage and said, Alcoa Aluminum fed this family for 50 years. Alcoa provided for us. And in this house, we use Alcoa products. And I, and I thought about that all the way into my way to work. And it, it, it really, it stuck with me throughout most of the day. And as I was preparing for the show, kind of wanted to make a, a point to talk about it because you don't find that kind of loyalty in 2017. Uh, a lot of people, they just work a job. And that's all they care about. And um, so f- for me, as I apply that to my life, if sticking up for free and open source software, if sticking with the free and open source alternative, even if we're not perfect, even if we have some areas for improvement, even if we don't have all the monies to do all the new and shiny things that the big boys do, 
if showing loyalty to those communities, if showing loyalty to the people that gave me that product that worked so hard to give me an operating system that doesn't crash, that I don't need to reinstall every six months, if showing some loyalty and making a couple sacrifices to support a community of people that gave me a world-class operating system with updates and usable software when I was working at a help desk for $5.25 an hour and putting $10 of gas in my gas in my tank at a time because they didn't have enough money to fill my tank. And I also, well, I, I, I had the choice back then. I could fill my gas tank or I could put $10 of gas in my car, which would get me to school and back. And I could pick up my girlfriend, now wife at the time, and I could take her to McDonald's for a date because that's what I could afford on $5.25 an hour. And I had a usable operating system. And I thought about this because today, I mean, back then writing a check for $20 was, uh, I'd, be, I'd break out in a cold sweat to spend $20 on anything, let alone software. I mean, geez, I mean, it's like, you know, how do I get this done? And now I can write a check for, you know, $2,000 pretty easily and not really think about it. And I'm going to show support and respect to those people that allowed me to get to where I am. I haven't forgotten that. You know, and when I think about that, I am comparing and contrasting this to companies like Microsoft and Adobe who would have liked to see me thrown in jail for software piracy because I stole their software. You know, as a 16-year-old kid making five bucks an hour, it's ridiculous. And if that makes me a religious zealot, so be it. Then I am the poster child for Linux zealotry, and I am proud to wear that badge of honor. Now, last couple weeks, we have been talking about virtualization, virtualization technology, and the ways that you can manage this stuff, and all the cool things you can do under Linux. And the more I dig into it, the more I find. And recently, Overt has come across my radar. And if you're not familiar with Overt, what Overt is, Overt is basically an infrastructure developed by Red Hat, a commu- the community part portion of Red Hat. And it allows you to manage clusters of servers. Now, I don't know much, to be honest with you, about managing clusters of open virtualization technology, but I know somebody that does. So joining us on the program, we are welcoming Brandon Johnson from Red Hat. Hey, Brandon, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Good. Hi, how are you, Noah? Excellent. On the show. Yeah, thanks so much. Okay, thanks so much for being here today. Okay, I got to ask you a question. Uh, you guys are kicking harder than a sensei over at Red Hat these days, and I've been following it right and left, um, you know, all the things that are going on. But I, I just got to ask this right off the bat. Is there some sort of company policy or company hat that all of you guys take your employee pictures wearing a red hat? No, no. That's just something that, that <laughs> you just all kind of you all kind of went and bought the same red hat and took a picture because all you guys that I've been talking to over the last week that work for Red Hat, your all your profile pictures are of like this identical hat. And I'm just, I wasn't sure if you guys like all go shopping uh, together if it's like an official uh, thing. No, actually, uh, so we get official when we first start at Red Hat. So on my on day one, uh, so we're issued our laptop um, and our uh, you know everything else that that we need to do our job. But also, we are issued a, a red hat. We're issued a red fedora um, as well. So that is something we take home that we can take home with us. Okay. So yeah, that, that, it's uh, it's been part of our culture for you know, it's been part of our um, onboarding process for for a very long time, as far as I know. I've been with Red Hat for about five years. 
Okay, well, great. Yeah, it's it's absolutely fantastic. And you know, the more I learn about your internal, cu- uh, you know, culture, Brandon, the more impressed I am. And uh, like I said, you guys are doing you guys are doing amazing things. And you know, we could talk for hours about what I think of Red Hat as a company and all the things that you're doing. But I know that you specifically wanted to talk about Overt, and that's something that I don't know a whole heck of a lot about. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are listening right now that don't lo- know a lot about it as well. So tell me about Overt. Yeah, so, you know, you've been talking a lot about uh, virtualization on your show, and um, it's something I just wanted to bring out because it's, uh, I, I think it's uh, one of the best ways to manage KVM. So KVM, the, you know, KVM Libvirt. Uh, so over is, uh, uh, it's designed originally to compete with uh, VMware. So, and really be able to uh, easily manage uh uh, virtualization, Linux virtualization hosts, uh, and be able to interact with them through, uh, like a spice console. If you're not familiar with spice, so like mm-hmm. BNC, you can also use BNC to interact with it as well. And, uh, and I've been working with it for, you know, it's been a project now for a little over six years, if my memory's correct on that. Um, and it's just, it's an easy button, essentially, of getting large uh, KVM clusters set up. So it, auto, it sets up a, the live migration aspects. It sets up your storage for you. Uh, uh, it, it's uh, really, really easy to manage. And to set it up, like you first, uh, like in case of over, or if uh, I'm going to plug a product really quick. So over. Uh, it's the upstream project and the downstream is Red Hat virtualization. <laughs> and uh, uh, so if, that, if we're talking upstream, which I'm going to going forward, is uh, uh, you d- install CentOS and uh, enable the repo for Overt. And then uh, you can either, you can install it through uh, uh, just an RPM and then there's a script that'll set up the manager that, for you. Um, or you can install Cockpit, and Cockpit can, uh, has all the uh, smarts underneath uh, to, uh, and you, you just you have to install the Overt plugin for Cockpit, and it would have all the smarts underneath to set it up for you. Now, Overt is, I was, and I was playing, I have, you have to forgive me because I've just been playing it for the last day or two, but the, um, basically, it is a, it's all administrated from Web Console, right? That's right. Everything's administrated from the Web Console. So you, you can also interact it with uh, with the VMs through other utilities like uh, Vert Manager or, or Versh for the command line, but the but the primary way to interact with the virtual machines and storage and the hosts, the virtual hosts, uh, is through the uh, web console. So how long do you think it would take somebody from starting from scratch that's maybe never had some experience with virtualization infrastructure before? How long do you think it would take them from a blank box to running a virtualization host and 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 be ready to start deploying VMs? Yeah, with all with all the tooling that, that we've put out, um, I'd say about five to ten minutes uh, to get the um, uh, the manager set up. Uh, yeah, the t- really, it's the time to install CentOS. That's really, really what it is. Everything wow. is really pre-configured. It's re- it's really it's really fast to get set up. Sometimes, if you you need to make sure all the, the thing is with over is like it's very picky about networks and all that. You need to make sure all your networks are are set up correctly. But uh, if all that's all set up correctly, 
I, it's, it doesn't take very long to, to set up over. Now, when you were talking to me about some of the advantages of man, of deploying something like Overt as opposed to – I mean why would I not just deploy a standalone KVM instance? Well, partly uh, standalone KVM, it's uh, – I, I, I think it's a pain in – I think it's a pain anyway to uh, configure things like live migration. So live migration for anyone – for people that don't know what it is, basically allows uh, – a virtual guest to move seamlessly from one host to, to the next over. does all that for you. You don't have to configure that. If it, uh, it, that, the, that's like one of the things that, uh, you know, if that's even misconfigured incorrectly, you're going to run into problems and over handles that for you. I know one of the things when I was setting up live migrations was I would go, I, I would, I would want to set it up from, one virtual host to the other, but one of the major pain points, if you've never done a live migration before, not you, but if there's somebody out there that hasn't done it before, you have to have shared storage. So you basically, you're basically forced to set up an NFS server and then mount those NFS shares on both of your virtual hosts. And then you can facilitate yeah. a live migration. Does Overt handle that for you? Exactly. Or? Yeah, it handles all that for you. There's also uh, uh, the ability. So Overt not only managed, not- uh, I'm going to take a quick step back. So Overt not only manages uh, virtualization, also manages uh, Gluster. For those who aren't uh, familiar with Gluster, Gluster is a, a, a cluster file system. And uh, what, what that get, gives you, uh, with and Cockpit can help you set this up as well, uh, it, Overt is basically now the first... Uh, um, uh, hyperconverged virtualization, fully open source uh, hyperconverged uh, solution. So basically, you can take uh, a couple, like three hosts, fill them full of disks, and uh, as it'll, and, and the installer will set up a, a both a KVM and over and, and Gluster, and it'll set up all the storage underneath. So you don't need to have that that SAN or that NFS. Sure. Share. You can just sh- uh, pool that sto- the the local storage, and that's what Overt can use. That's fantastic. You know what kind of scale is brought to mind when Red Hat was developing uh, this project? How, how, how many how many servers? How many clusters of servers are you envisioning that that this would hold? So Overt itself, like not not in the hyperconverged sense, but uh, the. Uh, uh, it was designed for massive scale, like uh, ten, like thousands of hosts, uh, hundreds of clusters, um, multiple storage backends, uh, tens of thousands of VMs. Like it, it was, it was wow. built for uh, um, enterprise scale. Wow, that's incredible! And I assume because it's, I assume it's running libvirt underneath, right, underneath the hood. Yeah, absolutely. It's using Libvirt and also another protocol called VDSM. Uh, let's see if I remember. Virtual Desktop Server Manager. Okay. That's uh, the correct uh, – uh, too many acronyms. <laughs> yeah, right, right. No kidding, right? Um, one of the things that I always look for when I'm going to go try out a new piece of technology is a really great go-to like quick start guide or getting started. What are the packages that people need or is there a particular guide that you recommend that people look at and say, here's how you can just kind of bang this out real quick or these are the packages that you have to install and then it will just work? Yeah, so there's a uh, overt.org slash download. Uh, that's a great guide. And also uh, 
on Red Hat's website and our documentation. So those, a lot of people don't know this, but um, our documentation is public. It's free and public. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so docs.redhat.com, go to Red Hat Virtualization. There's actually a bunch of quick start guys in there as well. Um, and a lot and a lot of it translate between the, the upstream project and the actual product. Yeah, I've, I, I actually I reference alt, uh, uh, Red Hat documentation a lot uh, for for various things. In fact, one of the things I've always really appreciated is um, in the in the in the community section of of the Red Hat site. A lot of times, you can ask a question, and there's somebody from Red Hat or from that project will come and respond. And so, I had a question the other day about a multi-headed. If I wanted to run a multi-headed um, VM, and how can I install a second display? on that VM and then use RDP to access those, those dual displays. And I, I found the answer actually, interestingly enough in the community forms. I think that's a great resource as well as obviously, like you said, the red hat documentation. Um, I wanted to pass on a question from uh, KSO 512 in the chat room. He asks, what are the compelling advantages of over, over VMware or OpenStack? Well, OpenStack, I don't even like comparing OpenStack to, okay. to, uh, to over too complicated. You know, open step. It, it's not that it's necessarily too complicated. I, it's uh, you know, there's a lot of components to it mm-hmm. um, uh, that, and there, you know, I, we I mean, we do sell an open an open stack product, um, but I, you know, it's something that it really depends on the use case. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really I really don't like getting into that. But in case of VMware, like it's mostly uh, I actually think that for Linux workloads, which is you know my, my specialty, I've been working with Linux for a very long time, mm-hmm. um, and, and uh, uh, Linux workloads run I think run better on uh, on KVM. Uh, so uh, than VMware, I've worked with both products. You know, in my previous life, I think. Uh, uh, VMware makes a great product. They they really do, um, but for, uh, just purely from a speed perspective, I think KVM is faster. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, and you know, actually, just uh, as a, as as an aside, that was one of the things that impressed me very early on with Red Hat was everyone was kind of centering around Zen, and all of a sudden KVM came out, and there's it's there's like this. You start looking at it, it's like, well, the performance difference is just amazing, but we have all of this infrastructure lined up behind Zen, and there's all this marketing behind Zen, and you guys just you're right on top of it. You're like, you know what, KVM is better. We're going to support it, and all of a sudden now, the vast majority of installations that I've come across, at least on Red Hat, are KVM. Almost every uh, uh, major, except for Amazon and mm-hmm. obviously Azure, uh, the backend hypervisor is probably going to be KVM. Uh, sure. DigitalOcean, for example, does use uses KVM. Uh, uh, so uh, the I think it's uh, one of the it it, it ha- even handles Windows workloads fairly well. Yeah. Um, if you have all the correct drivers installed, if you're uh, using the Vert IO drivers. Um, the uh, Windows workloads run very well on uh, on KVM. Let me ask you this: There, uh, Nailer in the chat room is asking about linked clones. So, for example, can you set up a a, a single a single machine and then spawn a bunch of clones off of that original machine? Then you update the first one, and all the clones will get that update or or that installed package. Yeah, I actually get this question quite a lot. So the way the way it gets handled in over is it's a. Uh, um, Handled at the template level, so you can link it off a template, okay. and uh, you can just uh, create a, a new version of that template to uh, to update that uh, th- those clones. Okay, so the, the the functionality is there. You just uh, you approach oh, it a yeah. slightly All different fun- way. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, we approach it differently. Yeah. That's fantastic. Is there anything else that you, you know, I, I mean, I know it's hard to take, you know, years, six years worth of work and try and condense it down into a, into even a one hour radio program, much less in a section of a, of a, of a radio program. But is there anything else that, you know, that the highlights, the, the, the heavy hitting points of overt? Um, well, like, uh, when we originally, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, Red Hat, you know, Red Hat doesn't do, uh, you know, we don't do a lot with, uh, desktops and, but uh, I th- one thing that, it, uh, that we do pretty well is we uh, in our in the product we call it um, uh, virtual technical workstation. Mm-hmm. So we're very good at handling those, those workstation. You know, develop you know virtual de- virtual developer desktops essentially. Um, you know that that niche of that of VDI. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but uh, uh, and I think we do we do a really good job really good job there. Um, and also, even though even though it's out 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 of it, um, might get yelled at for saying this, but I actually think that uh, the the with the more recent versions of over, um, uh, we're doing a lot better in the VD. We can do a lot better in the VDI space. Sure, it uh, actually works pretty well. Um, if you want to do like uh, those types of massive update, like a massive EDI uh, systems. It, it, it runs per- fairly well. I mean, it's not as good as some of our proprietary uh, uh, the uh, counterparts for VDI yet, uh, but you know, it it uh, it does the job, especially for you know ta- you know task uh, mm-hmm. you know, those uh, like a front like a front office uh, desktop. It would do, do do that just fine. But like for every you know for more power users, I, I you know, there's definitely limitations, but. Uh, but from like a virtual, de- you know, the technical workstation side, um, being able to pass through like uh, uh, NVIDIA cards. Uh, yes, through. yes. Oh, let's talk about that for a second. GPU pass through. So how, how? Yeah. first I'll ask, how well does that work? And then my second follow-up question is, how difficult is that to get it working? Does it require special hardware to, you know, I, I know that certain types of KVM pass through require certain ty- like models of motherboards, yeah, yeah, stuff like that? Yeah, it, yeah, I, I don't know those models off the top of my head, but like, for, but it requires very specific NVIDIA cards. Um, uh, usually, uh, the you know the K, I think it's the K. I have to look them up. I'll, I'll uh, send them to you uh, so you can put them in the show notes. Yeah, but, yeah, that'd be uh, great. But it's not. Yeah, but it's not. It's actually not that hard. Uh, passing a uh, uh, a device through is not not that hard at all. It's uh, really a click of a button. Inside of over, um, and then uh, late, we'll see what happens. Uh, but I, I'm hoping to see uh, uh, VMware has a feature called like vGPU, um, and that basically it just allocates a you know scheduling to the video card rather than dedicating the video card to a virtual machine. And we, I'm hoping to see that functionality. That, that functionality is actually available today in Libvirt. I'm hoping to see that functionality exposed and over pretty soon. I have played with a number of projects that are built on top of Libvirt, and I have run into that same uh, issue time and time again, where I know that the underlying hypervisor supports it, and yet the, they just then make a button for it. And I, it's actually it's funny that has that for the longest time that has what has kept me on just plain old just Libvirt, and I just manage it with Vert Manager because I can always drop to a Vert shell. And if there is something that did, yeah. for a long time snapshots didn't exist in Vert Manager, you couldn't do snap, couldn't do live snapshots in Vert Manager. It's yeah, a thing now. I, yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah. you know that feature was so, there for like, three years before. 
Yeah, there's actually workarounds. There's actually workarounds for things like that in, in over, um, they're called host hooks. Mm-hmm. You write, uh, there's, you put it in a script and it'll actually go call the appropriate commands to do, to do, to do things. So like that's some, that's something we used to do in over three, the current version of over it's 4.1.4. Uh, but in over three or rev three, um, a lot of the time we had to do what we call host hooks and you can still, that functionality is still exposed that you can still do that. That's how we used to do PCI passes. We don't do it that way anymore. We do it through the UI. Uh, no, another question. A lot easier, a lot more intuitive. Absolutely. Another question that just came up in the, in the chat room is they're wondering if you could expand more on when you say um, certain types of NVIDIA cards, are, are you, as, are you, you mean quadros? Is that what you're getting at? Uh, oh, I, I have I'd have to look them up, but they're like oh, the NVIDIA server grade um, uh, cards. Gotcha. So uh, it's I'm sure others. I, those are the ones I know we've yes. tested, but they're the but uh, I'm sure others work. Uh, it's just a matter. Of, I, I just know which ones we've tested. Yeah, that makes sense. So you so you have a you have a white list of we know that these are the working ones, but technically it's PCI pass through, so nothing stopping you from from giving it a go and see if you can get you know some consumer grade uh, eighty dollar graphics exactly. card to pass through. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Brandon, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Yes No Show. People have more questions. Where can they find you? Oh, uh, they can uh, find me on Twitter at the Brandon Johnson, and of course on uh, Telegram. I'm in the. I'm in the I'm in the chat room. And also, no, at the start of the show, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, ever, uh, a lot of people at Red Hat, you know, we're that's where we are. I mean, there, there's actually a few of us that are very militant. We will not use anything but Linux. <laughs> yeah, boy, boy, tell me, yeah, oh, geez, okay, I was gonna let you go, but now I can't. Now you got me on a now you got me on a rant. Uh, I so I toured Red Hat um, a couple of years ago, and um, you know, when we go into various companies, and I've been to a lot of big companies. Um, you walk around and, and as a Linux advocate, I always I kind of keep my eye out. You know how many of these people are actually using Linux, huh? how, and you'd be surprised how many quote unquote Linux companies are you know stacked up by behind a bunch of iMacs and and behind a bunch of MacBook Pros. And I'm sure there's an Apple computer somewhere in the Red Hat building, but we didn't see it. Uh, you know, everyone there was running a Red Hat. I was surprised at the amount of people that are running Red Hat as a desktop operating system. I was truly shocked. Um, and I guess when you work for the company, nobody laughs at you when you're like, yeah, I want to watch this DVD on VLC. How do I get VLC installed on Red Hat? I, but if yeah. you – me as an outsider, if I go on you know, a generic IT form and say, how do I install VLC on Red Hat? There's going to be 15 people lining up to tell me how Red Hat is a server operating system and I should not be using that. I should be using Ubuntu or something, right? But uh, no, you guys literally eat your own dog food. I got to ask, what's your personal desktop distro? Like what's your favorite? So I'm right now. I'm running Fedora 26. Okay. Um, on my main workstation, I have uh, uh, an XPS also, <laughs> XPS 15, uh, running Fedora 26 as well. But uh, my work issued laptop is a Lenovo uh, X1, and I'm currently running um, uh, RHEL 7.4, and I'm running uh, on there. Uh, just because it, the packages get updated more frequently, and I uh, I like to have a uh, my desktop system up to date. I'm actually running Mate out of uh, Apple, so uh, okay. the Apple packages get uh, for Mate uh, for uh, get um, regularly updated. Actually, so it's Rel seven four currently. I think it's GNOME three dot twenty two. But uh, I think the Apple packages right now are 1.16. You know, it's not 
completely up to date, but it's up, yes. up to date enough for me. Yep. And you, so you are one of those people then that if, if I sat down to Red Hat or running Red Hat on your, on your laptop, how, how do you find that to be like a daily driving uh, desktop operating system? Oh, I've been running Red Hat since, uh, well, 1998. Oh, wow. Um, wow. So, that was before, yeah, so. that's before the, sh- the, the split, isn't it? Yeah, it was before before the split. That, that was, I think it was Rel five point six. Rel five. Yeah. Okay. I was gonna say five five. One of those. Yeah, five four was the was the first version of, of Red Hat, and then it was one or two versions after that that the split happened. Uh, so that, wow, that is, and that was that must have been two thousand four yeah. or two thousand some two thousand three somewhere in there. Yeah, uh, the, the split was two thousand three. Okay. Yep. And uh, it was Red Hat nine. That was the last Red Hat Linux. Yep. And, yep. Uh, then it was Fedora. Yep. And then rel two dot something rel, rel yeah rel two dot something um, yeah I've been running it for a very long time uh, except for uh, um, uh, when I worked at Novell I I, I used uh, SUSE mm-hmm. but the uh, um, but for the most part I've been running Red Hat forever uh, I think it's uh, I think it's rock solid um, you know that you know there uh, uh, there was a there was a little dark period in my career where I, where I was running a MacBook Pro. But, uh, <laughs> Get off. No, but, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's, um, uh, it's just what you, uh, you know, I, but, but my desktop, my main workstation mm. has always been a Red Hat desktop. And I, I love it. You know, I think it works, it works great for, for my, for my workflows. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think so. And, you know, I'm actually quite proud of the fact that I have run every single version of Fedora since version one. And in fact, I won't I won't say where it is, but I was uh, I went back to one of my very first clients, one of the very before I even started AltaSpeed, it was back when I worked for a uh, medical software company and I, they, they approached me on the side and said, would you do some contracting work for us? And uh, it was when Fedora 4 had Fedora Core 4 had come out and uh, we had set up a, a server on Fedora Core 4 because it's what I knew at the time. And uh, and I went back there just a week or two ago. And that stupid box is still in production. I, I'm like, you guys aren't really still using that, are you? Oh, yeah, yeah, we are. Just we use it all the time. I'm like, do you guys have any idea what a terrible idea it is to be using that thing? Like, I, I will come fix it for you for free and get that thing on, on on a more suitable operating. No, you will not touch that thing. That has been one of the most solid boxes we've ever had in this building. I'm like, yeah, I can make it just as solid just without, uh, you know, it, it, this 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 gaping honeypot, you know, sitting on your net, which is a really bad idea. But uh, yeah, no, yeah. I, I've, been a, I've been a huge fan of Red Hat. And the more I talk to you guys, the more I, I communicate with, with Red Hatters, as you guys call each other, um, you know, the more I, I impressed I am with you guys. And, uh, you know, I know you're a big supporter of the, of the Ask Noah show, and we definitely appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk about Overt, and I'm going to be playing with it, and uh, I'll report back. Yeah, thanks for letting me come on. I've been, you know, I, uh, every, you know everyone uh, here talks about containers and all the new shiny, and, you know, I, I wanted to, you know, you guys, been t- you've been talking about virtualization. I just wanted to make sure that everyone out there knew the options to run over. Yeah. Run a, excuse me, run KVM. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, and I, I, like I said, I've talked about, you know, KVM and vert manager. I'm sure you've heard all of that. And so to be able to talk about actual, uh, you know, uh, you know, cluster management and stuff like that, and I've done even some small clustering, you know, in vert manager, but it's, it's just nothing, not quite the same thing of what you're talking about. So thank you so much, Brandon. I, I really appreciate you coming on. Mike is calling from Alabama. Actually, Mike, uh, well, we'll put you on Mike. Welcome to the ask Noah show. Hey, hi, How's it going? 
pretty good. How can I help? Well, yes, sir. I'm just uh, for one. I'm a big fan of the show. Thank you for all you do for the Linux and open source community as a whole. Thank you for your support. My question, yes, sir. Uh, my question is. I'm a big fan of Linux, obviously. I've used it for years now on my desktop, laptop, and my cell phone. Mm -hmm. But the only real option has been Android. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of bugged me because it's so over Googleized. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, the Googs are getting you. I so uh, I was wondering, like, I'm really interested in Tizen. And just me, maybe. I would love to even run desktop Fedora on there if I could. Mm -hmm. But uh, what is possible alternative for Android that I could run on. I have an HTC M9. I almost uh, left your call on hold simply because the rest of the show, I'm actually going to talk all about Android and alternatives, and I've been playing with them, and I have... My answer will take the rest of the show, is, is what I'm basically trying to tell you. But uh, the short answer to your question is F-Droid or Lineage OS, and I, I don't want to give the rest of the segment away, so I'm going I'm to save part of it, but there is an application I'm going to talk about in just a couple of minutes that will make your battery life go from like a day and a half to like three days, and basically what it does is it allows you to go down, you, it just, it's like an app, and you pick on, you click the program that you want, and it goes out to what would be Google Play services, downloads the APK locally onto your, onto your phone, and then installs it. So you have all of the advantages of the Android ecosystem without any of the Google stuff on top of it. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I just gave away the rest of my show to answer your question. But, but no, it, 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 the, the thing is, I have, I have, I have, I have phones lined up the wazoo, uh, spread, spread across here. I, for the first time, uh, have been carrying around an Apple device with me just so that I could do this episode of the show. That, that tells Ooh. you my dedication. I know that tells you my dedication. Um, and, but, but yes, I'm going to have a way better answer for you coming up in just a couple of minutes. So uh, if you want to hang on, I'll, I'll expand on that. But that's that's the short answer to your question is Lineage OS is what I'm running right now. But Fdroid is also great. And then a uh, and then uh, this application that I'm going to talk about that I, I don't want to give away. Does that answer your question? Partially, anyway. Uh, very much. Very much so. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Great. Yeah. Thanks so much for your call. I really appreciate it. Jordan is calling. Uh, we don't know where Jordan is. Hi, Jordan. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey there, Noah. Hi, how can we help? Hey, so over the weekend I've been messing with um, RAID on MDADM. Okay. And I've been trying to figure out how to install my root file system onto a RAID 0 array. Um, and every time I try to install it, I've been using Ubuntu Mate to do it. Okay. And I'll boot into a live CD, and I'll set up the um, the RAID device with MD0. And when I go mm -hmm. to install... Uh, Grub install fails. And I'm not sure where I should put that, so I don't know if that's where I'm going wrong. What? Well, hold on. What distro did you say you were using? Was it Ubuntu Mate? Yep, Ubuntu Mate. I have had this problem. In fact, this is a funny. This is there's a funny story that goes along with this. I have to tell it now that you asked. Uh, there's a video out this somewhere in the last archives. If somebody wants to go find it, but basically, uh, we were having this issue. It, for whatever reason, Ubuntu Mate has to have like it has to be the very first hard drive and it has to be called like maybe SDA one or SDA two or something like that. And if you start getting too far outside of that, it starts to do really, really weird things. So we were sitting down and Alan and I were trying to install Ubuntu Mate and uh, we go to install it. And first we were trying to install it to the M.2. Now this has since been solved because I've installed Ubuntu Mate on M.2 drives. But at the time we went to install it on the M.2 and we got this this error about copy on write, and it said, you know, uh, you know, something, something because of cow. 
And uh, we were so... I got that too. Yeah, right. Okay. So I just, it's like I've done this before. So, but, <laughs> so we're sitting there and like this, we're so sleepy drunk because we've been up for like 40 some hours, 50 some hours. And we had to get this up because we were broadcasting the very next day. And so we're sitting there and like as soon as that error came up, we just busted out laughing. Like what kind of idiotic error message is this? And, 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 and Q5SYS um, actually took a picture of the error message and tweeted it at Popey and said, what is this error message and why is it talking about cows? And Popey replied something along the lines of like, have you guys ever heard of Google or whatever? And of, of course, like we, you know, it's like we're too tired at that point to even think it just, it just struck us funny. So he goes, yeah. And then he, you can go find the tweet. It's actually pretty funny. He he replied something about, yeah, we, we grabbed the barn and looked for the horse and then got the cow to go talk to the milk. And it, it, he made this big farm analogy. It was, it was funny to us anyway, at 50 hours in of, of sleepy drunk. But um, the, the answer to your question is try a different distro, uh, try Ubuntu proper. You won't have that issue. Try Fedora. You won't have that issue. Um, or the proper thing to do would be to file a bug. And, and I'm sure uh, the, the, the Ubuntu Mate folks will get right on fixing that if they know it. I was too lazy to file a bug and I didn't have time at that point because we were busy. But uh, that is almost certainly the what is causing that problem. Does that help you? Yes, it does. And maybe I'll have to go talk to Wimpy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Poke him or, you know, the proper thing would probably be <laughs> Proper thing to do would be to probably file a bug would be, I, I think, what you'd probably prefer. But uh, they'll they'll probably get on that and, and fix it. But I have had that same issue. Uh, it, it just Ubuntu Mate has – there's some sort of bug in the installer and it looks for a, a, a very specific drive. So that is what I would do. So I am I am biased when it comes to Linux. Uh, and uh, no, I'm not shocking anyone when I say that. You know, it's not, There's nobody out there that's listening to me now that is like, oh, really? I thought Toa was a very pragmatic person. You know, and he used all the oper- – no, nobody's saying that. Come on. Um, but you know where I'm not biased? Phones. I'm not biased against any phone. I hate all of them. I hate phones. I hate smartphones. I have hated every smartphone I've ever laid my hands on since my Palm Trio. Um, I find Android and Apple to be miserable excuses for a mobile operating system. I find Android to be slightly less miserable, slightly less offensive than Apple. And so I tend to use Android. But I hate both of them. And I will admit right up front that the part of the reason that makes that that just nudges Android just a little bit over Apple for me is because Android, uh, both platforms pull you to mobile, but Android just pulls you to mobile. Apple pulls you towards mobile and Mac. And that is true. If you look at any user that has an iPhone, they almost inevitably wind up on a Mac a couple years later. It just that's, that's just, and that's Apple's infrastructure. Their, their whole business model is based off of vendor lock in. Um, but I think both are a detriment to the Linux desktop, and I, I really don't find either to be a really compelling mobile experience. And more and more people I see in the field are now using mobile-only devices, and it's it's ridiculous. We installed a 27-inch Android tablet, and the, the stupid thing was so special that there was only one service provider we could find that would actually even sell a tablet that big, and you had to sign up for some idiotic uh, TV service to even get the stupid thing that we had to do. And, and it was like there, – there was this guy, he tells me, he's like – well, it's uh, it's more efficient to use uh, these uh, mobile operating systems. I, I would really like a Android tablet uh, for my desktop. You know, this is some CEO, right? And uh, yeah, I'm paid to serve, so I do what he tells me to do. But the, the reality is, it's the dumbest thing anyone's ever asked me to do. Put a put a phone instead of where a perfectly functional computer is. Be come on. Uh, so, so so anyway, the the, the last couple of weeks, I've started to uh, look into different various phone options, and. Um, about halfway through the last week, I, I started to – I came to this realization. I was like it, 
Android has always been ahead of Apple when it comes to releases. So we had NFC. We had, you know, every feature, if you look at it, fingerprint readers, all this stuff came out first on Android devices. It's just implemented then and perfected by Apple. And then everyone says, oh, well, now it's actually released because Apple has blessed it or whatever, right? And what's frustrating about that to me is you hear a lot of people say, like uh, fingerprint readers, for example, well, Android may have had the fingerprint reader, but Apple perfected it. Well, not really. Actually, as it turns out, the fingerprint reader on my S6 is – well, OK, fine. maybe not the S6. But the S7 and the S8 definitely as fast as the Apple fingerprint reader and the Pixel faster. So they've both perfected fingerprint readers. It just took Android a little bit longer to actually integrate it into the OS than it did Apple because Android, guess what, is selling to a number of manufacturers and Apple is doing everything themselves. So both of them perfected it and Android just got there first. So if you kind of just reframe it in your head and just say, okay, when a new Android device comes out, let it bake for six or seven months, then go buy it and just pretend that it just came out because that's what Apple's doing anyway, except they wait a couple years and then they release outdated stuff and say, Here's the brand new one. Everyone go buy it. It's perfected. You've had these things for five years on on competing manufacturers, but we've released it now. Uh, So this was interesting to me. This was interesting to me. And then to add on top of this, I had actually ordered a Pixel because it's been out for a couple months now and all the issues have kind of been baked. And I had a suspicion. Every single time. I have ever purchased a device from Google, not a Google partner device like the like the Nexus devices, like an actual device from Google. And that would be my Chromebook Pixel and my Google Glass. The experience has been phenomenal. And there's people I have people all the time that tell me about Apple Care. Apple Care is so great. Apple Care is fantastic. I had one guy was so impressed because he went into Apple Care and they replaced his AC adapter. They just gave him a new one. And he's like, oh, oh my God, that's incredible. Yeah, Google gave me four new Google Pixel Chromebooks. I have the order history to prove them. They gave them to me because the other one, I broke the other one. And it wasn't that it was a poorly constructed computer. I just did stupid things with it. And Apple's or Google was like, oh, we're sorry about that. And I don't know how many $1,500 headset Google glasses Google gave me. So there's actually one of the first episodes of user error that we ever did. I went on record and I'm like, you know what? The Pixel is going to be a different phone. Oh, no. Oh, no, it's not. It's, it's going to be the same thing. It's, it's going to be the same thing. And it wasn't just it wasn't just the people on user error. Everyone I talked to, no, it's just a marketing thing. It's Google isn't going to do anything different. Well, I have a pixel and I'm here to tell you things are different. So uh, and, I'm, and, and, and that has led me down this entire track of trying every different phone possible. And right in the middle of this, Chris actually forwarded me a tweet from uh, who was this? to do Stephen Hall that confirmed that Google is dropping the headphone jack on the Pixel 2. Now, here's the problem. I just bought a Pixel earlier that week, and I was thinking about how stupid it is that Apple drops the headphone jack to begin with. Because something you have to understand about Apple users. Apple users, they have rules. And you have rules to be to, to, to being an Apple user. And, uh, and I can give you some insight into their mind. But rule number one is Apple users always have to make an excuse for everything. So here's a typical conversation with an Apple user. Not completely too far-fetched from what I had with somebody. So how do you like your iPhone 7? It sucks pretty bad that you don't have a headphone jack and a phone made in 2017. It's missing the most universal connector ever to exist in the human history. Yeah, uh, like not really because they have like dongles and AirPods. And that's rule two. Always, if you don't under, you either have to not understand the technology or even if you do understand the technology, you have to prove how Apple you are by using the Apple term and not the actual term. So it's not a Bluetooth phone. It's not wireless earphones. It's AirPod. 
It's uh, it's not a fingerprint reader. It's Touch ID. It's not NFC. It's Apple Pay, which is actually fair because they've nerfed the software so you can only use the stupid radio to pay for things. You can't do anything else with it. I can unlock my doors. I can send files. I can do all sorts of things with my Android device. Can't do that on an iPhone. So they get rid of the headphone jack to make the phone waterproof. But as it turns out, and the more I think about this, the more upset I get about it, more people plug their phones into speakers and treadmills and chairs and sofas and cars and everything else under the sun. You know what I don't see a lot of people doing? Standing around swimming pools and throwing their phones inside of them. Splash. Splash. That was fun. So so anyway, so I, I started to buckle down. I thought, let's go look at all of the phones available. And one of the things that I've always appreciated is that with Android, you have a number of different manufacturers to choose from. So I picked up a LG V20. I have my Samsung S6. I have my S8. I have my brand new Google Pixel. And yes, for comparison, I have borrowed a used iPhone 6. Full disclaimer, I didn't purchase the iPhone or the V20 there on loan. My wife has the S8, so I just borrowed that for a little bit. The Pixel I purchased and the S6 I've had for two and a half years or so. So first, let me say this. There are legitimately some things I come to like about the iPhone. Uh, At least for the moment, there is really no such thing as a junk iPhone. Even the even like the old, you know, outdated models of the iPhone are still usable for most people. And I found that the screen I started with the iPhone 5 or the iPhone 5S or whatever, and I was going to try that. And uh, it wasn't really a fair comparison because the thing is so old. But it still technically works. I find that screen to be completely unusable. But that is personal preference. There are some people that really like the 4-inch screen. Um, But the nice thing about that is you don't really have to do any research or reviews. You can just buy something called an iPhone. And if it's made in the last three or four years, it's probably usable. And that's not true when it comes to Android. There's plenty of junk Android phones. The other thing I liked about it is that the iPhone is made by the same company as the company that makes the software. And so for the most part, everything is in the same place across models headphone jacks in the you know roughly the same place they went from the top to the bottom but volume is in the same place they have the physical mute button power button obviously the operating system is is very tightly integrated it's a very responsive intuitive system if you've never used a smartphone before and you sit down at an android and an apple device you're probably going to pick up the apple device much more quickly unless you're using like the uh i forget what it's called but like the gimp mode for elderly seasoned people on android it's like it dumbs down the interface But in general, things are just integrated at a deeper level. You're making a phone call on the iPhone. You just click on the FaceTime thing. All of a sudden, now I'm, I'm, you know, video chatting. You text a person. If they have an Apple device, it automatically transcribes it to an iMessage as data. If they don't, it sends it as an SMS. This is even transparent. People don't even know they're doing it. I mean, it's a very clean, integrated device. The fingerprint sensor, definitely quicker than my S6. Definitely not any faster than the Pixel. In fact, I think the Pixel's faster. And I couldn't tell you for sure between the S8 and the iPhone. It's, it's kind of a toss-up. It just kind of depends on how consistently you put your finger on either of the phones. It's a toss-up. But I wanted to spell a couple of myths about the iPhone because there's some common things that are going around that are just just not true. So one, people will tell you, well, iPhones, they don't come with any, with any pre-installed junk. That is 100% false. The only difference is the junk is installed by Apple themselves and not the carriers. Apple preloads a bunch of garbage that I had no interest in, and Samsung load a bunch of garbage that I had no interest in. The only difference between my S6 and my iPhone, because both of them were bought from the factory unlocked, so it's not like you know the carrier did anything to either of them. 
But Apple users will tell you how amazing that voice memos and tips and podcasts and iBooks and reminders and stocks and all the other junk that I actually would prefer the third-party apps for and have no use for. And then to add insult to injury, and not that it's any different than Android, you can't actually remove it easily anyway. There's like some hacks. But for the most part, you just stack everything up in an unused folder. Oh, by the way, you can't remove icons off your home screen easily like you can in Android. So I just have a folder called junk. That's cute. But the other myth I keep hearing about is that they have fixed the home screen for customization. You can organize and they have folders, but you can't decide where the icons go. Like they all have to stack up towards the top. And I have the kind of an organization system. I have like all my utilities in one part of the screen, all the social stuff in another part of the screen, all my work stuff. One, you can't do that on, on iOS. So there's still, it lacks fundamental basic use things that are, that have been available for Android since the get go. iPhone still doesn't have them. Um, and then, then you have all the headaches that people acknowledge, right? So first of all, the charger. Every electronic in my house now has a USB-C charger. My laptop, my Pixel, uh, but not the iPhone. And even if I was an excuse-making Apple lover hippie with a MacBook, the charger that my laptop is plugged into while I'm sitting on the house still can't be plugged into my phone. Uh, and so that, to me, that's just a huge mistake on Apple's part. But, and what has frustrated me is Apple continues to release the same product over and over and over again with minimal improvements and people lined up to pay the next $800. And it's just, it's frustrating. And the only real compelling argument that I hear from, from other people is, well, Apple updates, they have updates, they have updates and, and users, they don't know how to install these alternative operating systems. So updates, you know, first of all, the people that I'm running into couldn't care less. They couldn't give a flying rip about updates. What the, in fact, I would venture to say the average user doesn't even know what version of the software they're running is. You know what users do notice? That they have the same charging cord for their laptop and they can charge their phone. You know what users do notice? They can't plug their phone into their speaker system anymore because there's no headphone jack. You know what users do notice? They ran out of storage space and instead of they have to buy a new $800 phone rather than a $35 SD card. You know what users do notice? They can't take out their battery and put a new one in when they're traveling. You know what users do notice? They don't have a choice of manufacturer. If one manufacturer does something bad, they can't just go to the other manufacturer. Users notice that stuff. And the techies, if they want to, they can choose different ROMs. So one of the things that I've been playing with now is something called Lineage OS. And what Lineage OS is, is it basically the continuation of CyanogenMod. And it's fantastic. But where the rubber really meets the road is with the Yelp store, Y-A-L-P. And basically, what the Yelp store does is it is an app that you install on the phone, and it will go, it acts kind of like a store. And you can go find your app, the applications that you want. So let's say you want Telegram. You can go find Telegram. You click on it, and it will go download the APK, store it locally, and then install it on the device. Now, here's what, I like that for a number of reasons. One, I have a copy of all the APKs that I've ever installed. So before I reflash my phone, I can just plug it into my laptop, copy all the APKs off, and now I have them kind of like back in the old Palm days where you downloaded the installer and you had all your Palm OS files, so you could just reinstall them. So that's cool. Second of all, I like the fact that it is App Store-ish, so I don't have to use a laptop and plug in a cable and APK or whatever, uh, APD flash or whatever the, the command is to like flash the, these APKs onto there manually. I like that. But mostly what really appeals to me is the battery life is incredible. Your battery life goes from like a day. I, I got, even though my S6 is year and a half, two years, I probably got, I would say, 
a day, day and a half. And I'm a fairly heavy mobile user uh, with uh, with with lineage and and Yelp. You get like three days of battery life. And uh, this I tried it on the Nexus five. Uh, I uh, our producer, just Ben, is running it on his Nexus four. Uh Amazing performance, incredible performance, incredible battery life, you know, immediate updates. So you are – it's like you are really getting the best of every possible world. And the only downside to this is you got to do it yourself. You got to install it yourself. And, it, you know, there's guides for everything. And if you have a Nexus device, it's like super easy. I mean it's literally – you issue three commands. You unlock – you plug it in, unlock – uh, issue a command, unlock the boot loader. You flash the new ROM to it and you restart the phone. I mean it's, it takes 15 minutes. Uh, it, it, it's an incredible experience. And once you start stripping Google Play services off of the phone, the I find the phone to actually be more useful and I actually trust the underlying OS more because I never I, – well, I don't trust it on Apple either. I don't trust anyone when it, with just some company, particularly Apple who has a key to update my device. So if they, just, if they wanted to – you know, in this FBI investigation, the, the, it's not that they didn't do it. It's the fact that the FBI discovered and understands that it is technically possible for Apple to force an update down to a given iPhone or all the iPhones that require it to unlock to, to to accept an override pin or something like that. I mean, that's a thing that you could do. Good luck doing that with a, with an operating system that I flashed onto the device, and I feel like I have administrative access over the device. So. It's interesting because as I'm comparing all of this stuff to – as I'm comparing all of this stuff to – as it relates to Google, right? At the same time that I'm trying to get away from Google Play services, their device is just unbelievably great. I didn't think I could get into the fingerprint reader on the back. That has been flawless. I have dropped this thing. I don't know how many times in the week I've had it. Not a scratch on it. It's built extremely well. Um, and what's interesting is all of I've started asking people when they tell me they're like, yeah, you know, this is going to be different than the uh, than your past Google uh, purchases. The the Pixel, it's, it's just a marketing thing. It's that they haven't done anything different. It's all going to be the same thing. I've started asking people, how many products do you own from Google? Do you own a Pixel? No. Do you own a Google Glass? No. Did you own a Pixel laptop? No. OK, so you don't have any of the experience purchasing products from Google. And I do. And every single one of them has been phenomenal. And so far. I mean, they gave me free shipping. I just I had free overnight shipping that I didn't even ask. Like that, the phone just showed up the next day, and that I just the, the customer service at Google is just next level. And part of that is just because they are such a huge company and they do so little of it. You can't really reach a human when it comes to YouTube. You can't really reach a human when it comes to you know if you have a search problem or whatever, right? So all of their workforce, their customer service base is really supporting at the moment a single product, which is the Google Pixel or maybe the Pixel and then whatever their tablet thing is. But the phone has been incredible. And, I, and again, having compared this to the LG V20, compared this to the S6, comparing this to my wife's S8, I'm not super excited about them dropping the headphone jack, but I am very, very excited for the phone as a whole. It's, it's, it's really been you know, an, an incredible, an incredible experience. And then again, being diving into some of the alternative operating systems that are available for Android, are, you know, really just kind of just open the open the gate up, because at the end of the day, this weighs on me. And maybe I give this more weight than it should. And again, I'll disclose my bias up front and you guys can take it with a grain of salt. Apple brags that if you buy an iPhone and you pair it or tether it or connect it to your iCloudify, whatever you call it, up to your MacBook, then when you want to get on the internet and you don't have Wi-Fi and you click on the little icon, 
it'll activate your hotspot or, you know, Apple Cloudify your internet connection to your phone so that you can get on the, the internet, right? That's the selling point. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I'm not going to lie. I thought there was a way I could set that up on my phone. Probably do it. Do you know what Android is advertising? You know what KDE is advertising? KDE Connect. That's what they brag about. They brag about integrating your Android device into your KDE desktop. And I guess at the end of the day, as I kind of look at some of these things, I look at it and I say, okay, every, most of the iPhone users, if not all of them, not most, I know a couple, most iPhone users eventually wind up in the Apple infrastructure because it's just, there's just that much less resistance, right? I already have the iPhone. If I just had this, then I could do this. If I just bought that Apple product, I could do that. And slowly but surely, you know, they, they just kind of start dragging people over. And I, I find that to be kind of frustrating. And it seems like the Android folks are continually working with the open source community. And it seems like when an open source project comes out, they release a version for Android rather than Apple. So I'll give you an example. OS Ticket. OS Ticket was available on Android a year and a half before it was ever available on iOS. In fact, even right now, the iOS version is nowhere near as complete as the Android version. And part of that is just because a lot of people in the IT industry, a lot of the people in the IT industry that value open source, those people are on Android or variants of Android. And there's people in the chat room that are talking about the OnePlus. I, I agree. I think that the... uh I, I think that the OnePlus folks are doing really good. I kind of got turned off by the OnePlus when they started getting in bed with Microsoft because at the end of the day, I, 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 I try to never hit Microsoft without also stat taking a stab at Apple, and I try to never take a stab at Apple without taking a stab at Microsoft. They are two different companies. They two two different offensive things, but at the end of the day, I find them to both be pretty atrocious software companies. Now, I'm going to bring Mike back on because he's still hanging on the phone. So I'm assuming that he's still there and I'm assuming that you you listened to the rest of my rant on Android. Did that more fully answer your question? Absolutely. And yeah, uh, battery problem has actually been a major problem for me because like even right now, I have to have my phone plugged up and the phone itself is hot. And if you look, what, what, you, what you'll find is that 90% of the things, if you use one of those battery optimizer things, 90% of the stuff that is running is Google Play services and doesn't need to be running for the phone to work. Because at the end of the day, most of the time I'm using my phone, I'm either checking email, doesn't require anything from Google. I am sending a telegram, doesn't require anything from Google. Or making a phone call, requires very little, if anything, from Google. And the fact that, the, that my battery life gets eaten up by, these, by, the, by the stupid Google Play services is really frustrating. Oh, absolutely. And I, the fact that there are so many background processes for apps that I haven't even opened within my session, I'll turn on my phone and all of a sudden apps are running in the background that I haven't even opened up since I turned my phone on. And yeah. most of those are searching for your location and things like that, stuff I don't want it to know. Mm -hmm. Not that I have anything to hide, but it's unnecessary for a software company to know where I am at all times. Yeah, I agree. I'll tell you the most offensive thing to me, and I, again, I really thank you for not only you know calling in but hanging on the phone so long. That is really amazing. Thank you. Um, one of the things I have noticed is that I notice applications that are running when they crash. And that's like, that's like a double whammy because now it's like you didn't need to be running to begin with and your software was so crappily written that it crashed. Uh, so, you know, it's it, it, it pretty frustrating. But anyway, uh, all in all, that to say, I can now say that I have used iOS for four or five days. I'm never going back. I'm returning the thing to its owner and I'll be glad to wash my hands of it. I have used the, the, the LG V20 was a great phone. Um, I think the Pixel feels better made. The S8 definitely feels better made. Um, and uh, 
overall, if I had my choice, I'd still take a button on the bottom with the fingerprint sensor over the thing on the back. That's that kind of my takeaway. But uh, very, very good phones all around. And uh, hope you guys found this an interesting review. That brings us to the end of this program. Huge thanks to Ben, our producer, Sarah, our call screener, and Rakai, our video editor. We'll hand you off to Crosspoint coming up next on Logos Radio, KEQQ 88.3 LPFM Grand Forks.